Leadership transitions are tricky, not just for the school community, but also emotionally for the leader. Stephen, due to health concerns, just resigned from his superintendent post in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Jeff, longtime colleagues with Stephen, wanted to pick Stephen's brain and discuss the emotions behind his past and current leadership transitions. This is a very relevant discussion for all educational leaders to hear, and we appreciate the candid and thoughtful advice Stephen discusses with us. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Jeff Rose. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders, educators, teachers, etc. Uh, welcome to Leader Chat. Now, some of you are watching live. I say some of you because our members have an opportunity to watch this live and, of course, the recorded version of this. Uh, if, in fact, they're too busy or they have a meeting schedule at the same time, which they typically do. And then many others actually hear this via our podcast version. Today is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting, of course, but fun because I actually get to interview somebody I know pretty darn well. And uh, that is going to make it, I think, extremely engaging. And what this person also brings to the table is, is important for all of us to hear. If you're a leader, if you've actually felt that challenge and that isolation, um, you know the struggle that comes with it when you kind of sign up to serve and that sometimes brings a heavy burden, lots of learning. And today we're here with Steve, Stephen Murley. Um, Stephen Murley served as the superintendent of schools for the Green Bay Area Public Schools from July 2020 through June 2022. The Iowa City Community School District from July 2010 through 2020. And the Wasu School District from 2005 through 2010. He served as a teacher, coach, athletic department administrator, building administrator and director of human resources and community employee relations. He's an active graduate, uh, faculty member since 2001, having taught at the University of Iowa in the Educational Policy and Leadership Study Department, the University of Wisconsin, uh, the Education uh, Administration Department as well, the Marion University in the Educational Leadership Department, and the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh in both Department Human, human Services and Professional Leadership now, beginning in 2012, Steve has also taught as a lead instructor for the American Association for School Administrators, AASA, and for their National Superintendent Certification Program, the Midwest Cohort. He is a graduate from the University of Michigan with a triple major, Economics, History, and Communications. He's also uh, attended the University of Wisconsin for Educational Administration. He is married to Darcy, and they have three boys. And before I welcome him, I do want to say this. This is extremely unique because um, Steve is no longer the superintendent of Green Bay as of like a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's been a member with us, uh, which was at Leading Ed and now part of the leadership circle. Um, he is an incredible leader and uh, I'm thrilled that he was willing, fresh after a very challenging and difficult decision, to come sit with us today. So without further ado, Stephen, how are you? I'm great today. Good to see you. Good to see you. And um, so everyone listening, I, I may accidentally call you Steve. And um, I know you'll forgive me because that's what I call you. Ladies and gentlemen, don't call him Steve. It makes him really upset. It's Stephen. <laughs> Darn it. It's Stephen. Uh, he, oh. he laughs, but I do know he goes by Stephen. I, I actually just sometimes forget and call him Steve. So um, Stephen, you're doing well. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. 
So, you know, I read your bio, and it basically it describes this, and I, I think I could probably read mine, and it, you know, it describes that like you've been around the block, right? So, like, like my friend says, you've been around the block and actually back again, right? <laughs> is that is that fair to say? So, but what what did I miss? And how about how about you just take a few minutes and you know, let's go back in time. You didn't end, uh, you, didn't, you didn't start as a superintendent of these three different districts, right? I've mentioned some of your prior work experiences leading up to the superintendency, but just walk us through, like, how did you get into education and what were your steps to get into that leadership role? How'd that go? Well, backing into it, I'll say that uh, I think it's very rare that you find people who have a career path that they say, oh, I'm going to be a superintendent at some point along the way. So I think uh, many of us are, are uh, uh, accidental superintendents in the sense that we may have thought we were going to be educational leaders, but we may not have planned to be superintendents. So uh, when you mentioned uh, earlier, I, I came out of uh, that uh, period in time. Those of you remember Gordon Gecko and Wall Street, uh, I did my undergrad in uh, uh, economics at Michigan. I was going to go out to New York. I was going to uh, be the next uh, uh, hotshot out there on Wall Street and uh, uh, took a different path uh, and uh, eventually discovered that uh, my passion lay with teaching. I uh, went back, went through an alternative certification program to get my uh, uh, teaching degree, but uh, I had a period of time between uh, uh, college and, and uh, teaching where I was working in uh, commercial banking. And so when I got into teaching, uh, one of my mentors said, you know, if you really want to make any money in education, you need a master's degree. And with your background, you really ought to get a master's degree in educational administration. And I thought to myself, I'm getting out of doing what I'm doing because I want to teach, not because I want to be an administrator. But I took his advice. I got the admin degree, parked it in the closet. Uh, and lo and behold, I uh, had an opportunity to, to move into uh, a couple of different leadership roles. And then, uh, again, in that accidental uh, I, um, superintendent category, uh, I was the uh, uh, director of human resources and employee relations for a school district that I uh, had a superintendent transition mid-year, uh, and they reached across the aisle and asked me if I'd step in and do that. Uh, I wound up, uh, I was in Wausau, Wisconsin, wound up uh, finishing his year out, and then I, I did five years there as the uh, superintendent. So I, again, I think a lot of us don't get into ed leadership uh, thinking that we're going to be a superintendent. We often aspire to be a building administrator, uh, maybe something else, but uh, I don't think we really see ourselves as superintendents right out of the gate. It seems to me probably two-thirds of you know superintendents or educational leaders, regardless of the title, when they are responsible for you know a large system, they're the only one responsible for maybe you know these you know the immense infrastructure to support students. Um, about two-thirds describe it your way that I didn't know that wasn't my plan or path. I just kind of took it one step at a time, and I, I found myself ending up here. Um, and you actually were from Wall Street to education. That's an interesting shift because those, those two things are pretty, pretty different. I did. Uh, you won't be surprised to find out that uh, I taught advanced placement micro and uh, macroeconomics. So uh, I know some people refer to those as the dismal sciences, but uh, I loved doing that. And when I had that first opportunity to move into a building administrative role, I thought, why would I want to do that? I absolutely love what I'm doing right now. So 
uh, that was uh, that was one of those inflection points that was a tough choice for me to make. Well, that's great. I, as you were mentioning the course halfway through the sentence, I was already bored. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here, I, you know, this the, the kind of title and concept I wanted to talk to you about is just related to leadership transitions. This doesn't have to refer to the superintendency. So, um, not counting your recent decision to step away from the seat in Green Bay. We're going to get into that, but not counting that. Is there a particular transition that you can remember that, you know, was, was memorable, stands out for you, and, and why? I'd say the biggest one was moving across the hallway from the Director of Human Resources and Employee Relations to the superintendent. I'd been a member of the superintendent's cabinet for years. I, I'd had the opportunity to sit in on all kinds of closed sessions with the board. Uh, I'd work closely with, uh, we had a board committee structure there. I'd work very closely with a couple of the committee chairs on, uh, on issues. Uh, and you know that old Joe Hari window, right? You know what you know, and then on the other corner, you don't know what you don't know. And um, I thought I understood the role of the superintendent, having you know, ridden side by side with him for years and, and having been intimately involved in the work of the board, uh, I thought I had a pretty good idea uh, of what he did. And I found out that it was like that iceberg analogy. I could see that tiny little tip mm -hmm. uh, at the top. And that part I understood pretty well. I had no idea what was underneath the surface. So uh, that was uh, probably the most challenging transition I've ever had in leadership was executive cabinet to superintendent. Uh, I'd say it was definitely harder than moving from building level to cabinet level. Uh, I, you know, there was certainly a, a change in work responsibilities and uh, scope of leadership and things like that. But uh, moving across the aisle was definitely the most uh, challenging transition I went through. Uh, and uh, once you make that, that uh, transition, then subsequent transitions into other superintendencies uh, were very smooth uh, because I, you you know what the job looks like, but that first step, uh, that first step's a doozy. So, um, you know, a, a, a transition that, that you just reminded me of, when I uh, was the, from being a teacher to being a principal for me. So, um, as you were talking about, you know, kind of being part of the team, as a teacher, I used to watch my principals. And I, I had some incredible principals that, you know, that supported our buildings. Um, but I thought I knew. I thought, okay, I, I, I've watched him. I've watched her. I, I think I understand. Um, I went through the process and went into being a principal. Of course, I was nervous, but I was also confident. Um, and, and I was really wrong. There, there, there had, I had no idea about you know, the amounts of other things that the principal was managing, very similar to how you experienced becoming a superintendent. I experienced that too. But for me, it was also being becoming a principal. I had no idea what the, the stuff that they were managing. And I sometimes would even question them. I would judge them. How silly that was. I would judge them. I had never done that job, right? We'd all judge up. Um, do you remember that, uh, th those judgments along the way, looking at the leader maybe um, that is supporting you, making assumptions and judgments about their work until you actually got in that seat? I think uh, one of the things about the superintendency that I had no idea about when I got in there, uh, and I do refer to, uh, refer to this affectionately, it's the care and feeding of the board. And I, 
you know that there's interaction between the superintendent and the board. You see that at board meetings. For me, I saw it in closed session. I saw it at committee meetings. But I really had no idea how much time it took to manage those relationships, both individually and collectively, uh, outside of the work that you did uh, at the board table, at the committee table, uh, and in the community. And uh, I know from a judging up standpoint, when I was across the hall, there were times I thought, uh, I've asked you to do one or two things. I don't understand how you don't have enough time to get that done. And then suddenly you're across the hall and you're realizing how much additional work there is and how hard it is to do some of these things that people think you should just be able to get done uh, because you really don't have that kind of time available. So um, in these questions I'm going to ask you and things I want to talk to you about, um, what's going to be challenging, I think, for you is that you have been conditioned, I was too, uh, I've been out of the seat longer than you have, and you are conditioned to demonstrate um, every time you talk to people. The, one of the pressures is every time you talk to a person, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, or you're in front of a large group, you have to somehow own that room and demonstrate that you either know what you're doing, or you have a process, or you have a plan, or you understand, or you're empathetic. You have to do all of those things all of the time. And therefore, you have to kind of navigate this in a very political way. You have to, you're not a politician, but you sometimes have to act like it relative to, you know, that public persona. So in some ways, you're probably not going to be used to me pushing you to go, no, 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 just give me, give me the, the, the truth, the gritty answer. You're probably going to come off, you know, sounding very, very poised, which I would understand. So if I push you, I apologize, Stephen, ahead of time. But talk to us right now about this recent transition. Um, you made what I thought, what I can only assume is a really, really challenging and heartbreaking decision to raise your hands and basically leave Green Bay School District. Um, hardest decision of my career, Jeff. Absolutely I, the hardest I assume. Decision so, of my so, so, so talk to us. Like what, what went into that? What was the why? But also maybe just talk about the emotion behind it because I think that's important and probably has been left out of some of the conversation. Um, I don't think that the press is going to report on what was going on in your gut. No. Right? They just announce kind of what right. the press release is, which isn't necessarily the, the inner turmoil that you're going through. So just walk us through a little bit. You know, one of the beauties of working in education is that we do... We don't necessarily do transition well because we don't do the kind of handoff that you might see in the corporate world where you overlap with the person that, that you're replacing. Uh, but we do uh, transitions well because they're usually done uh, on a, a calendar basis. So people know that transitions happen at the end of June and the beginning of July. Uh, and if you think about uh, uh, positions you've had, um, your life's kind of like a book. The book's not done, but you usually finish a chapter before you move on. Um, I'm sure you can reflect on this when you moved from teaching to that first building administrative role, you wrapped up the end of the year, you handed out your grades, you turned your materials in, and then you opened the next door and, and moved into that administrative role. Same thing when you when I moved from uh, the building level to the central office level. Uh, I, I wrapped up the school year, I got all the teachers checked out, everything was good to go, and then uh, July 1, I moved my stuff up uh, to the, the district office and, and away I went. And so there was this logical transition. Like I said, there was this closure, this this uh, end of the chapter type of thing. Uh, and, and then as a superintendent, uh, 
you know, you're frequently setting large goals for yourself and for the district, uh, and you have waypoints along uh, that process. Uh, and even if you leave before something is done, uh, you're able to have checked off some major portions of the work that you've done. I've been very blessed. I was in Iowa City as superintendent for 10 years. I was in Wausau as superintendent for five years. Uh, and I came here to Green Bay with the same expectation. I remember telling the board, uh, I worked in Wausau for 11. I worked in Iowa City for 10. I came here with the expectation that I would do 10 years. Uh, I knew what they needed as we went through the interview process. Uh, they needed some strategic planning. They needed a facility master plan. They needed some major work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. All those things take time. Uh, and that was something that I had the luxury uh, to give them. And so we sat down, we scoped out a, a pretty ambitious set of work uh, over that time. We got the uh, uh, the engines rolling, the wheels turning. And two years in, uh, as I'm uh, really starting to get things up and moving, uh, I wind up with a personal health crisis. So um, I'll be pretty direct with folks out there. Uh, this was stuff I didn't know. I, uh, I caught COVID at the school board convention. So I like to joke with John Ashley, who's the head of the Wisconsin Association of School Board. I didn't come back with a single good idea from the conference for the district, but I did come back with COVID. Uh, and I, and then uh, one of the things that I didn't know, because I'll be honest with you, after dealing with the pandemic for two years, knowing a lot about managing the pandemic, I didn't know a lot about COVID. Uh, and uh, I wound up with uh, a what's called a DVT and uh, blood clots running from my ankle to my groin. Uh, and, uh, the doc told me that I needed to do five things, which if you're a superintendent, <laughs> listen along with me and decide if these things are part of a Venn diagram that overlaps. When you think about the superintendency, I needed to get better sleep. I needed to eat better. I needed to exercise regularly. I needed to remove stress from my life and I needed to lose weight. So those are the five things that the doc told me to do. And, um, and I sat down and, and many of us have been through this before. For those of you who don't know, Jeff, he's in phenomenal physical shape. So he'd be the exception here. But uh, <laughs> I, many of us have been optical through Optical illusion. It's an optical illusion, Stephen. <laughs> that camera's kind to you. I have an, impre I have an impressive girdle under all of this and uh, I just manage it. Spanx, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I... You know, I sat down and you have to be honest with yourself. And sometimes we're not very good at doing that. Correct. And if you're not honest with yourself, then you have to have somebody who can be honest with you and be really direct. You talked about pushing me before. So I sat down with my wife. We talked about what the doctor expected. And she said, you know, you've been doing this for 17 years. Uh, you know, 18, if you count that, that half a year I filled in for him before, uh, after he left. So uh, during that time, I've watched you make commitments to yourself to get in shape, to lose weight, to spend more time doing fill in the blank, golfing, biking, reading, whatever it is. Uh, and she said, you know, you've done a wonderful job as a husband and a father and a son making time for the family. Um, you're there when you need to be. Uh, you're you're deeply involved in the lives of uh, the, our three boys and and her and my my folks and her folks. Uh, but she said you're really not good at prioritizing yourself. So it's kind of like you know family first, job second, Steve sixty fifth on the list. And and she said you know if you want to be if you want to keep being a superintendent, which I was at that position and. Uh, 
where I was making that decision. And she said, if you want to keep being a superintendent, just acknowledge and be honest with yourself. You're not going to do those five things. You're going to say you're going to do those five things. And knowing that you've got an enormous bond referendum coming up in November, if your choice is to do your workout or go to a community meeting, if your choice is to get enough sleep or do some prep for that next Kiwanis meeting, uh, she said, just know what you're going to do. And like I said, be honest with yourself. Uh, and so for me, I had to look at it and say, if I'm going to do the things that I need to do to be healthy so that I got a nice long run here, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I need to reprioritize and I need to recognize that I've never been good at putting myself first. And it's because I've been committed to the work and to the job. And the only way I'll be able to do that is if I don't have the work or the job sitting in front of me. And and so I had to make an incredibly tough decision. Um, I'd actually talked to the board about resigning, uh, retiring at the end of this school year. Uh, and they were incredibly gracious. So I got to give a big shout out here to the Green Bay Area Public School District Board of Directors. They came back and they said, we know from talking to you that these first three months are pretty crucial um, to getting the train back on the tracks. And so uh, they released me. Um, after the board meeting on April 11th and, and have given me the, the luxury and the gift of focusing on those five things pretty heavily here for the next three months. Well, what's so interesting about talking to you right now, Stephen, is that um, I've talked to, you know, ex-superintendents, uh, ex-leaders, um, but, you know, typically it's, you know, after they've had time, right? So, I know what it felt like when I raised my hand and exited stage left or right, however you describe that. Um, but it, I, it took time. I've talked with Phil Lanou, Rob Lanou. They used to be superintendents years ago. They've had time to like reflect and understand, this is really fresh for you, and, which has made it just such a pleasure for, that you're willing to come talk with us right now about it. Um, and that was my hope, is that can you talk to us about how it feels right now because it's so fresh? And you mentioned some things I'm worried about, Stephen. Not, of course, I, I'm worried about you when this, this, you made this decision. My curiosity was, uh-oh, is he okay? Um, hearing about your health scenario, but also hearing about, you know, that you're, you need to prioritize some things differently in life. I think that's a really important part of this narrative. And I'm worried about leaders, and this is what I'm worried about. I think the job has always been really hard. You know, whether you're a principal, a superintendent, when, when you're the only, when you mm-hmm. are, uh, you're singleton right. in your organization, it's just challenging. Then people can't understand it. What I'm worried about is that it, it's always been hard. I think it's getting worse. I think that um, the time constraints for leaders, it's getting worse. I think, um, uh, I think the challenge also is that the politics are getting far more extreme. I also think that just the the tyranny of the urgent is taking our eye off the ball on what we originally signed up to do, which is lead systems focused on students, on kids. And it's gotten further away from that, I think. And um, I think it's burning through people. I think it's impacting their health. I think it's impacting their psyche. And uh, I worry about leaders. And I also think that if we can't rely on leaders uh, for the future of education, we're in big trouble for public education. Private as well, we're in big trouble. So I have, a, I have two, two questions, kind of a two-part question for you. So the first is, here's my two parts. What do you think needs to happen 
systemically, structurally, politically for leaders to do what they were hired to do is my first part. I'll remind you of the second part if you forget. The second is what do leaders need to do, even in hindsight? So now you're looking back, even though it's very fresh, what do leaders need to do for themselves to influence their own potential and, of course, reach their own destiny? Because we can't just rely on the system and say the serenity prayer. We have to do something about it, too. So what needs to happen structurally? And then what do leaders need to do for themselves? So one of the things I'll tell you is, is uh, and I'm sure you went through this too, and probably some of those folks that you mentioned are, are mutual friends of ours went through it too. But I got to tell you that uh, this is week three for me. And the term I've used with people when they say, you know, how are you doing or how are you feeling? I tell them adrift because this is the first time in 18 years I haven't been a soup. The first time in 22 years I haven't worked in a C-suite office. Uh, and, and so, you know, for the last quarter century, I've had my own three kids plus tens of thousands of other kids that I've been responsible for and, and, uh, thousands of staff members and, and dozens of schools. And, uh, and what it really reinforced to me is, uh, and I don't say this in a bad way, but it is, it's an all consuming job in the sense that you are on 24, seven, 365. I, uh, there's an expectation that whether it's a moment of major crisis or minor crisis, that you are available and that your brain is ready to go to make tough decisions. And when you're in the moment, when you're doing the job, I don't think you really understand what it means to be on like that. And, and, uh, so when the board gave me that grace and and released me and I went in and I had that admin meeting on Tuesday morning and and then I got hundreds of emails from staff across the district, of course, being the good responsible superintendent I am, I'm in there on that Tuesday morning, I'm answering all those emails and I'm uh, I'm responding to all those staff members and then boom, at 1030, my email doesn't work anymore. I don't have email at the district anymore. Can't think of the last time I haven't had email on my phone, on the computer, you know, wherever I am. And, and I say that because uh, I think sometimes we can be like frogs in a frying pan, right? Things are changing around us. It's getting hotter and we just don't feel it. We don't notice it. Uh, and, you know, you were asking about, uh, you know, what do we need to think about? I think you said systemically, structurally, politically for us uh, uh, to do our job. And I think back to what boards look like when I first came in uh, and, and they're very different. Uh, now the, the the membership of the board is very different. It's uh, becoming less and less common to find that board member that's got 10, 15, 20 years of experience. Uh, it, uh, I can tell you right now, for example, on the Green Bay board, they have two brand new members, two members that just finished a first year uh, and one member that finished a second year. And that's on a seven member board. So collectively between those five people, they have four years of experience. In on the Green board. Bay. In Green Bay, fourth largest district in Wisconsin. Um, so I think we really need to recognize that our boards are changing and uh, that being a board member is hard work. And it was hard work before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, whether it was masking, whether you're in school or out of school, you know, what does it look like for virtual learning? Board members took a beating and a lot of board members said, that's it, I'm done. And so we've seen a huge turnover in board members. I think we will see in the next uh, couple of cycles. And so I think we need to recognize that it is harder to be a board member, and and that uh, is going to lead to turnover, and that's going to make it harder for us to be superintendents, because the people who come to the board, 
come with a different set of expectations than they may have 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and so we're going to need to learn to work with these new board members. I saw that over the last couple of years with some of the new folks that came in. Um, you watch them campaign. Um, they'll frequently campaign on things that they are going to do when they get on the board, which means fundamentally they don't understand the role of being a board member because you don't do anything as an individual member. And yet here they are campaigning on the things that they personally are going to do when they get on the board. Well, you know that they're they're set up for failure then because they're going to get in there. They're not going to be able to do that. That's going to generate frustration. That's going to in turn generate uh, anger. It's going to generate community backlash. Uh, and so we as, as board members, I talked about, and I said it affectionately, the care and feeding of the board. We are going to have to get deeper and deeper into that, and we're going to have to get better and better at that. And, you know, no uh, no shade here on, on uh, the graduate work that I've done uh, or the graduate work that I lead uh, as a professor, but uh, not a lot of focus on, on boardsmanship and, and, and that care and feeding of the board and understanding how to work with them individually and collectively. And, and I, think, uh, I think that's just going to get uh, more challenging. Uh, I'm sure many of the folks that are out there listening uh, know that, but uh, uh, there are some segments of our political community out there that have decided that the way forward um, for success is not through the presidential office, but it's to start at the ground level. It's to turn over school boards and city councils and county boards of supervisors, really active, a lot of money coming into local elections. We saw that in the school board and the city council uh, elections here in Green Bay. And so we're going to get different people on the board. That's not a bad thing, but we do need to acknowledge it and we need to figure out how to work with them. So I think that's one, one big one. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, let's pretend we could push that button and that's not an easy button to push, right? I mean, what you're describing um, isn't aligned to, you're right, our, our training or our past expectations. And um, in the meantime, there's something that maybe leaders should do for themselves. Um, I find myself, now that I'm no longer in the seat, when I reflect on what I, maybe I should have done to have been a better leader, to have been a better a lot of things, um, it's, I have a long list of things I could have done so much better. Now you're fresh out, but what do you think leaders need to start doing for themselves to combat some of the conditions that maybe they can't change as quickly um, in the system? So I think one of the things that uh, we need to recognize, and, and I think we've all probably been through this at some point in our career, is, is you get in, you're embedded in the community. You're working tightly with your board, with your admin team, with the greater community uh, out there. And you have uh, a feeling of confidence in knowing what needs to be done uh, and then rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. And uh, it feels really good as you're making that progress, um, especially if your board, your admin team, the community are moving along with you even better. Uh, but um, we have a tendency to look at a, a relatively small bounded universe as we go through that process. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've seen friends who have uh, been doing work which was right and good and effective, and they've had a turnover in board, or they've had a change in sentiment in the community, and then people have come after them for the work that they've done. And I think one of the things that that highlights for us is the importance of working with others. And when I say that, I don't mean in that small bounded universe in our community, but across our state and across the nation. 
So one of the things that, that you ask and when I think about structurally in terms of, of how we're going to succeed is recognizing that uh, we're going to have greater public scrutiny. We're going to have perhaps more pressure from factions that come in on our board. Uh, it's going to be important for us to find, however you define it, but a, a that kind of cohort of leaders across the country who are doing the kinds of work that we see as necessary in our district. I'll just use one example because it is a third rail out there and easy to get electrocuted on. I, I was very fortunate. We did some wonderful work uh, in Iowa City and then here in Green Bay in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, it raises all kinds of concerns with some community members. CRT obviously is just a, a, a word you don't even want to mention or have to discuss at a board table or at a press conference type of thing. Uh, but if that's the right work to do in your community, and it's hard work, and if you have board support and you have community support for it, that's great. Those are necessary, but not sufficient. I would argue that who across the country is doing similar work that you can line, align your district with so that when somebody comes to you and says, I'll use an Iowa City example, have you lost your mind putting in gender neutral bathrooms at the elementary school. Uh, and, and we literally, as we started building new buildings down there, I, I called them hotel bathrooms. Uh, and not, not your Motel 6 hotel, but you know, your Ritz Carlton, you know, you walk into the bathroom and every stall is a, a, a floor to ceiling louvered door kind of thing. And, and uh, so we started putting those in at the elementary level. And most of the people in the community, very supportive of it. I certainly had a few people that came out and asked me if I'd lost my mind. What is it exactly that you're up to here? And I, being able to work with a cohort that was doing similar work, I could say, oh, I understand your concern. Let me share with you four or five other districts who are on the same highway, different lanes, doing the same work. Let's see what they're doing there. Is what we're doing radically different from what other, in many cases, well-known, uh, highly regarded communities are doing in this space? And when you can do that and you can validate the work that you're doing through the work that others are doing, people step back and say, oh, it's not that crazy superintendent uh, or even your nutty board or you know whoever who's come up with some uh, wackadoo idea, uh, plucked it out of the air and started doing it, but they can actually look to you and say, oh, you're part of a larger group that's doing this work across the country. And lo and behold, you're all doing the same kinds of things. You know, you, so obviously, you know, you're kind of speaking our language, uh, how we connect leaders to one another based upon their ongoing challenges, right? Based upon um, something that could be as significant as what you're describing to something extremely minor, but is keeping them up at night. Often leaders, there's a lot of them keeping them up at night for the same reasons and connecting them so that they can help and support one another, not just through therapy, but through strategy, right? But through, um, but through some answers and ideas by sharing context and so forth is the way actually people learn best, um, especially people in leadership roles. And so I appreciate you mentioning that, which brings us to this kind of final question I ask just about every guest. I'm not a fan of the sit and get. Even though this is content that we give out, um, I really believe that learning happens when you circle people up. It's why we say circles are better than rows, right? 
So um, you've heard me say that. Let's just pretend you and I are at a table, right? Your reality is your reality. You're a few weeks out. You've made this gut-wrenching decision, as you described. Um, what would be your advice to them right now? You don't have to like project as to what it may be years from now. What would it be right now? So I think I'd, I'd do two things. First of all, I, when I reflect back over you know, almost two decades doing this, I, for too long, I thought that I could, uh, that I was doing uh, good work on my own. Uh, and, and even though I was uh, well-connected uh, uh, through professional development, I probably wasn't as active at learning from others early in my career. So uh, you know, I, I always tell people that, that uh, personal professional development is a must. You gotta find out what works for you. Um, you need to build that network at the, the national and the state level. And, and then, um, you know, you need to start, you asked uh, earlier about, you know, how do you influence your own uh, uh, potential, your own destiny? I really think that uh, we don't do a good job documenting the work that we do. So through that AASA program, one of the things that we do is uh, we build artifacts uh, for the work that we've done. Um, it's a twofold win uh, because that artifact supports the work of the district. Um, which is what we do as superintendents. So that's a, a value add to the district. Um, but then it also helps us understand the work that we do better and we're able to project it to others. Uh, so, and then the other thing is, and I said this back at the beginning, uh, you know, be honest with yourself and, and really understand work-life balance is a myth, right? It was always a myth for me. It's probably a myth for most of the people who are listening in today. Uh, but at the same time, in the end, the only person who's going to prioritize you is you. And if you don't make that personal commitment to do those things that keep you physically and mentally well, uh, no one else can or will do that for you. So whether that's getting out and going for a walk here as, as spring sets in, or well, actually not in Green Bay, it's 40 out. Uh, but uh, uh, if you're uh, reading, cooking, spending time with, with a significant other, your kids, your parents, whatever it is, um, really making sure that you figure out how to do some type of balancing, recognizing if you're committed to the work, you're committed to the, the job like I was, you'll probably never get balance in the sense of it's 50-50 or whatever. But uh, making sure that there is some level of balance in your life uh, so that uh, you can make sure that you're mentally and physically well uh, and, and like I said, then, then you, then you really have that opportunity to take advantage of those professional development networks that you have, and then add value to your district as a whole. And when you do all that, I mean, it checks all the boxes. It's a win right down the column. Well, it's, you know, the, when leaders have a hard time and everyone has a hard time, sometimes this work-life balance, right? So, right. We can't, we can't snap our fingers and leaders can all of a sudden, you know, get in great shape and spend all this time at the gym or running, whatever it may be. But we can continue to promote that professionally leaders take time out to also learn, which by the way, as you know, will feed us as leaders. The dilemma is um, they're just giving. They give and they give and they give and they don't give to themselves. So they may not be able to afford a beautiful stroll on a spring day. Maybe it's because of weather they don't have time. Are they setting up time in their week to actually engage with another leader or to read an article or to watch something like this? Often they are not. They need to. 
they need to. You know, I, I share this one with you. I think sometimes when we get uh, committed to work that we're doing in the district and we got our nose down and we are working, uh, it's hard to see if we're drifting off the true course. And the only way to do that is through dialogue with others. It's unlikely to happen inside your district, even at your regional level. It's really only going to happen at the state or the national level. So if you're not having that conversation on a regular basis, you can drift further and further off the true course. And then that course correction can be really, really painful. So when you're having regular conversations with other leaders, people you trust, your professional development network, uh, and you're able to share where you're at, and they're able to ask critical friend questions, those course corrections are so much easier. I, I need you to admit to everyone that I am not the one who told you to say these things, because it's <laughs> as if you're a spokesperson for the leadership circle, but um, this is not a paid advertisement, um, but that is, that, that's pristine, because that is exactly what we're trying to continue to accommodate for leaders. So I, I want to say thank you, Stephen, for your service. I want to um, say thank you for your courageous recent decision. Um, I've always known you as a courageous leader. I would never guess that you have had this health scare. Um, you tease yourself, but you don't look like it. You know, when I close my eyes and think of you know, the retiring superintendent or educator and then look at you, I, I, those, those visions don't match up. So um, you know, I wish you the best, and I'll you know, continually, of course, uh, be in touch with you. But thank you so much for you know, at this kind of raw time having this discussion with us. I know that this will help other leaders. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate that we had this conversation. Thank you. Well, if I can give you one last plug then, I, I, so one of the things that I think is uh, helping me right now is I'm reading a book by a guy named Bob Buford called Halftime. And, and it's uh, I, how not to have a midlife crisis, how to find meaning in the second half of your life. And it's really significant for me as I'm going through this transition. But I got to be honest with you, if I was sitting in the seat right now today, that would still be a good read for me because... Um, I'm not done with the work. I know many of the folks that are listening right now, they're coming out of the pandemic and, and things are changing. And there's probably a lot of self-doubt out there about who they are and what they need to do next. And, uh, you know, any kind of book like that that you're reading, any kind of conversations you're having with your peers where you can be vulnerable and express those, those thoughts, I think really helps recenter us and, and will help all of us collectively in the profession as we get ready to move forward. I read it, loved it. And by the way, it's not an easy read because it no. really causes you to push yourself to reflect. Um, at times, it's even hard, but important. So I'm glad you brought yeah. it up. Yeah, it's a great book. So, well, Stephen, not Steve, Stephen Murley, um, I, 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 of course, wish you the best, and I can't wait to talk to you very, very soon. Thank you for your time. Bless you, my friend. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, um, that, was, uh, that was what I hoped it would be. Uh, Stephen Murley, Steve as I call him, is a, is, is a great, great leader. And we will continue to learn from him. And I know so many others have had in the past. I know that you've appreciated this time that he has spent with us. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, be well.